0: Welcome to episode 58 of For the Love of Guns. My name is Jason and it is my pleasure to welcome Roy Chester to the show. Now, Roy Chester is from Outer Impact. Him and his wife run Outer Impact. They own it, they run it, and they make some amazing products. I'm really a big fan of them. I bought a couple of their Muras or MRAs to mount some red dots to some SIGs, because if you know, SIGs got their own mounting system, but Roy and his team have come up with a way to mount other red dots to slides that, well, not designed for the red dot that you might want. Now, before we talk to Roy, it's time to pay the bills. And this episode is brought to you by, well, yourself. You're the reason that I can continue to bring you content. However, I need your help. I need you to go to www.trb.fy. That's the Rogue Banshee's website. Go up into the menu and go to partners and discounts. I need you to do that before you go shopping, because there's all kinds of vendors out there, including Amazon, Brownells. There's a lot of places out there. Go out there, click on the link to that partner and then go shopping. What will happen is that when you use that that link to go shopping, a small percentage of your purchase will come back to the channel and it won't cost you a penny more than you are already gonna spend. Now that is partners and discounts. That's right, there are discount codes there. So go there, check out what the code is for that partner. Remember that, go shopping, click that and you're going to save some money. Not only are you going to save some money, but you're going to help the channel out and help me bring the content that you like to watch and listen to. Now with the bills paid, let's talk to Roy. Roy, tell me about your love of guns.
1: My name is Roy Chester um, from
0: outer impact and we build gun stuff. Build gun stuff. That's, you see, I love companies that build gun stuff. It's, that's why you're here, right? We're going to talk yep. about gun stuff.
1: Well, we build all kinds of stuff, but gun stuff is the thing we're known for.
0: Now, Outer Impact. You know, I've known you um, from way back in the day for Sites and then re- more recently for the Red Dot Adapters. But would you mind telling people a little bit about the mission of Outer Impact?
1: So the... The underlying mission is, is when I was a younger individual, um, I always wanted to buy the really nice stuff, but I was broke. And so it was hard to afford that stuff. And so when I started doing this, I wanted to build high quality items that were at a a very reasonable price. So now not necessarily bottom of the barrel, but something that, you know, you were getting a quality piece and, and it was, it was a very affordable price so that you could adapt some things to your weapon that you might not otherwise be able to afford.
0: And that's kind of the thing is there, there's, it's a little feast or famine-ish, right? Either it's super high end that you can't afford or super low end that might work twice and something you might not want to bet your life on. And you're, you found that sweet spot right in the middle where everybody wants a good quality product and it's not too expensive. Um, you know, I originally the first thing I bought, and I'll show this, was um, for my X5, the uh, the red dot, the MRA for my X5, because I've got I got this Crimson Trace red dot in, and I was like, okay, cool, but it's not going to melt to anything I have. And I'm like, okay, let me find an adapter, and it's like oh, that's expensive. Like, hey, I ran across, you know, Outer Impact. I'm like, I can afford that. As a matter of fact, I bought it for the X5 and the p365 and i'm like this is awesome you know this is you know i put it on it it, the fit was was good and i could afford it and that thing has i beat the heck out of that thing and it works great
1: if if you install it properly and use it properly it's a very robust piece um we do have people that try and install the wrong screws in it and and damage the product that's that's i mean It is a little bit complicated in terms of the sheer number of components that go into it. But uh, if, if you do it right, it. I mean, we've got testing that we've done on it with a, a Glock 10 millimeter compact and we've shot thousands of rounds through it. And we do it on a- heck out of it. Well, we, we're actually doing it on an optic that we don't recommend because the screws that we have only hang on by one or two threads. Oh, wow. And we went out and did some testing with that, put thousands of rounds through it, and we had no, no failures, no issues. It was able to hold up. Now, we don't tell the customers that, hey, you can put this optic on there because the yeah. two threads is a little bit scary. But um, it, it proves that the, the, the strength is there as long as you install it correctly. And unfortunately, we've got people that stick the wrong thread in the wrong holes, and, and it,
0: those don't hold up. So yeah because because those those. That, <clears throat> that's the thing is when you get one of these plates is you know there's a couple sets of screws that come with it um, and and if it doesn't fit, don't force it <laughs> um, yeah, you know, make sure you know what you're doing and you know well, hey this one kind of looks like it. If it kind of looks like it, try another one to make sure that that's not a better fit
1: we'll we'll get folks that'll actually use the screws from the optic manufacturer in some cases and and we're not compatible with some of those screws in order for us to be compatible with the sheer number of optics that we're compatible with we have a specific screw set that we've come together with to try and work with all of those different optics and when they try and use the optic screw set from the manufacturer of the optic it may not match our thread or it may not be long enough or it may be too long i mean we've we've had that too we're Somebody's got a screw that's overly long, and it runs all the way through the plate, and, and it ends up damaging
0: things. So you know, it's funny. I, I didn't even think about that with um, because you know you have the 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 MRA to put different optics on. Um, you know, like this X5, I can run just about anybody's optics on it with with your plate. But I didn't think about that. Is that not only is the gun different? but the screw sets from every company could be different. So yeah, you would have to standardize so that way you can maintain the most amount of compatibility out of your product.
1: Yeah, that's exactly what we had to do. We had to go through and say, okay, what screw can we use that covers the most range of product within this, this footprint and will it work with all of these? And there's compromises. I mean, sometimes the screws are a little smaller than what the manufacturer may come out with, but, at the end of the day, the, the screw is robust and the, the mount system is robust, so we don't have any major issues with that. And it yeah. it gives somebody the opportunity to transition from one optic to another without cutting their slide, which initially this product was a transitionary product. It was to say, hey, I want to try these optics before I really commit big dollars to a very specific setup. And as it turns out, a lot of people don't even they don't even go to the – the full committal after that, they just like to switch optics.
0: Yeah, it's it's funny <clears throat> because that's where you know that's the one thing that drove me nuts about Sig. I like I like my Sig's, <laughs> but damn, I just don't want to run their optics, right? I mean, I, I, there's <laughs> other things I want to run, and if you buy a Sig, you pretty much, you, you know, I, I knew that. You know, I was pretty much married to their their mounting system all the way up until I found. Um, the mra and i'm like this is the greatest thing in the world because you know this x5 this is my competition gun and um you know i bought it knowing that eventually i was going to put some optics on it but then i'm like i I just want to run something different and i know that i can pull that crimson trace off and i can do a hollow sun or name something i could pretty much mount it to this gun and i can i can change my decision at any time i mean Right now, it's just running this um, CT twelve uh, fifty, which I just like. I I was like, okay, cool. This thing runs. Uh, this is just going to be my optic for this gun. But yeah, that's just an amazing thing. You know, I, I I never even thought about it. You know, because for me, I I was like, I have an optic and I need to match it with this slide. I never even thought about I have this slide. What's the best optic for it? I've never went the other way with it. Which it, it totally. You can totally do that.
1: Well, and, and different optics offer different items uh, or different benefits to what you're doing on a particular firearm. You may have a, a really small firearm and you need to have a really small optic on that. Uh, and some of these larger optics don't really foot the bill for that particular firearm. Um, if you go through and do uh, a bigger firearm, now it can support a much larger optic. Uh, And you may still want the smaller optic so it's something that gives you the opportunity to play and adjust and See what works for your particular application and not all optics are going to work for the same application One may work good in one application
0: and one may work better in a different application so at least Go ahead. I'm going to bring up your website while we're talking here for those of you on the video side I'm gonna you can see this um This is the website here. And for the audio side, you can just go to outerimpact.com, and I'll have a link down in the description for you. But um, I figure while we're talking, we might as well look at the optics you have because you're talking about the large optics and the the smaller optics. You know, this this CT-1250 that I played with is a big optic, and um, I also threw it on my P365XL because I bought one of your plates for the P365XL, which this is a big optic for a P365. Don't get me wrong. Um, that's, a, that's a lot of red dot sticking out past the slide. It but is. You, have, you have all these things, and then now you have smaller uh, mounting plates.
1: We created a micro series because the optics manufacturers are coming out with this m- set of micro optics. And it's been nice because they have a fairly universal um, mounting pattern for those. There's a few flyers that come out, but for the most part, it's a much smaller compact package, and you're able to put a much smaller mounting adapter on there. Now, it doesn't cover the sheer range of optics that the standard Murrah covers, but it's also not meant to. It's meant to cover those really small micro optics.
0: Yeah, that's the nice thing with this micro optics, at least, you know, people are starting to settle in on a pattern. Um, and I, I guess, I guess it's good and bad. You know, it's, it's good for the consumer. It's bad for the manufacturer, right? Because like I said, SIG likes to sell their stuff. And of course their optics work on their slides. But as a consumer, I want to have the most amount of choice possible. Right. And I mean, looking, you know, we're going through your website here. You have so many different options, and we haven't even gone into the small ones yet. Um,
1: <clears throat> we it, do cover a large range of firearms.
0: Well, let me ask you this how do you come up with what firearm you're going to come up with, you know, you're going to do next? Is it mostly by demand, or do you have somebody in the shop go, Hey, I got this. This would be really cool to have a have an optic for
1: most of the time it is it one of the things that drives us to look at a particular firearm would be customer request so if we have a a lot of people requesting an adapter for a particular firearm we will go through and take a look at that and see if there's something there and i actually have a an example of one that that i drug my feet on and put my heels in the ground because i didn't think it would be a very good seller Uh, because it's it doesn't seem to do well in the United States Uh, and that is the CZ we had a company that said hey we would like to have this built for the CZ and we said well we we don't really plan on building anything for that it's a very expensive gun we're not sure our product quite fits that that platform the way that it probably should Um, but yeah because it's so expensive I don't think we're going to invest into that particular firearm and so there was some back and forth, and this this company was very insistent, and so they ended up cutting up some slides and sending them to us of these very expensive guns. And at that point, we said, well, okay, these guys are very serious about this. I think okay. we're going to have to go ahead and bite the bullet and, and build this. And as it turns out, it, it, for our perspective, I wasn't wrong. It's not a hot seller in the United States, but this gun is not – It's a CZ and it's the Shadow and the Shadow 2. And
0: mostly competition guns.
1: Right. Well, they're extremely hot sellers everywhere else. Yeah. So there's a lot of people that want to put red dots on those firearms. Uh, It's just they, people don't purchase that particular firearm in mass here in the United States for whatever reason.
0: No, if you, if you, if you buy those guns, you're, you know, the gun, right?
1: Yeah. And they're a wonderful shooting gun. I mean, I'm, we've we've shot them, and our guys love them. But it's it's not one that we would go into the store and go, yeah, we're going to pick that over you know a four or five hundred dollar gun. That that twenty five hundred dollar yeah. gun, unless you really have a specific purpose for it, most folks are buying the the more reasonably priced weapon. Sure. So, but again, our guy when we go out, our guys love to shoot that gun. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, why? It's why a not, very right?
1: nice. Yeah, it's a very nice shooting weapon.
0: <laughs> yeah. Well, that's why they're so popular in the sp- in the shooting sports. Yeah. Um, they're 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 a great they're a great gun. They shoot nice. The ergonomics are, are amazing on them. Um, it's all metal, which you know everything's. Well, it's so funny. Is all the composite guns are now coming out with metal frames, <laughs> sure. at least the modular ones. Um, yep. you know, uh, you have, uh, SIGs coming out with the, the grip modules for the P320 that you can, are metal now Smith and Wesson's coming out with metal, uh, grip modules. I mean, it's just so funny that how we're kind of doing the, the kind swing of... to, to, and back. Um, yep. but yeah, that's the nice thing about that CZ is it's got, it, it's, it's a nice gun. It's, it's heavy, right? I mean, it, it's all metal. But that just helps you with that recoil as well yeah it makes
1: it a very nice shooting weapon it's very stable and, and predictable and uh, our guys have a lot of fun doing it but back to the how we decided to do that is it literally as a customer was so insistent on it that we're like okay we gotta we gotta address this otherwise i mean glock smith and wesson um your, your big guys are easy to all identify. the populars yeah yeah you, you go through and say how many of these things are sold in a year and, Okay, yeah, we need to definitely have something for this particular area, um, and and we've had we've had others too that that have come in, and there is a cult following for those particular firearms, and they they want that adapter, and we've built, and they haven't been good sellers. They sold initially, and then they just they don't continue to sell because it's this small group of of people.
0: Yeah. it's it's such a small group of people, but everybody wanted it. So they grabbed it, but then everybody had it.
1: (laughs) Yep. That's exactly what happened. Yeah. So that's, that is in a nutshell, how we try and identify what we're going to build for a new firearm.
0: Now we're, and we're watching uh, the
1: new stuff that comes out.
0: Well, and that's, that's what I was going to say is you have so many new guns coming out and everything's coming out micro, which is cool that you're going down into the micro because that's, that's what everybody's buying now. I mean, even for me, for carry, um, I've changed carry philosophies. You know, I I like full, don't get me wrong, I like my full size guns, but hey, you know, in the summertime when I'm trying to do concealed carry, there's only so many options I have, right? And inside the waistband carry is really sucks for a full size gun or even a compact gun.
1: Um, Absolutely.
0: I mean, go down into you know the you know for me it is the 365. Um, I also have a, you know, a Glock 43, you know, you start going, everything's going down into that, those smaller guns again. And again, it's, it's like the whole industry, it, it, it goes back and forth, right? You know, for, for three years, we're stuffing full-size guns down, you know, into inside waistband holsters to, you know, small guns inside the waistband holsters. The next thing is going to be small guns outside the waistband holsters. And, and then we're going to go back to full-size guns again for some reason. <laughs> Just so,
1: people get tired of the of the same old same old, so time to change it up after so many years.
0: Well, and and with now with guns really kind of being affordable, right? I mean, you you look at you know uh, a Glock or a three, you know a Glock forty three or a three sixty five, they're about the same price, right? They're around you know six hundred bucks, probably used. You can give them about four hundred bucks.
1: There are um, some really affordable guns out there. The Taurus, the yeah. the, there's some stuff in the Taurus line that I think I I've paid 230 bucks yeah, for. The,
0: yeah, the Taurus and and they shoot great.
1: They're a nice feeling weapon and but they are the the price point is unbeatable. Yeah. So, and we've done some stuff for those because it's the price point. you you're thinking that they're going to sell a bunch of those just because the price point is so reachable for so many people. And it, it, they're a good feeling gun. Uh, the the grip feels good. The, the gun feels good. It just, it's a good feeling gun.
0: <clears throat> yeah, I have a a bunch of a bunch of buddies that have was it the G three and the, the G four, the the new ones, and they just, they love them. And and these are these are people that are very particular about their guns. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I remember talking to one of them going, I can't believe you know the G3 came out. He goes, I, I can't believe you bought a G3. He goes, I can't either. I'm like, because I look at him and go, you bashed Taurus so bad. And now you've got one. He's like, you, you've got to shoot it. He goes, I, yep. I was at the gun store. I played with it. It felt great. I figured for the money, I'm just going to buy it. Why not? And, and Now it's my carry gun.
1: Yeah yeah they they make a nice little weapon so it's and it's ridiculously affordable so i don't see why people wouldn't be flocking to the stores to get it off of there there's some other ones too that have come out that are been more recent i think mossberg's got one yep that is a a nice little small compact gun that's really affordable as well
0: yeah i got to shoot that at range day at shot um nice little gun i mean it really is and and it's so funny seeing Mossberg and even um, uh, why am I not having a hard time thinking of it um, Savage. Mm-hmm. If it's Savage coming, it's, it's so weird seeing Savage come back to pistols after what, 120 years. <clears throat> yeah, it doesn't make much.
1: It doesn't really compute. No, it, it's I, really I, weird. I think I think a Savage. I think a nice long-range rifles.
0: <laughs> yeah, neither. Nice long-range rifle, or um, or uh, you know your kid's first hunting rifle in the uh, in the Axis series. Yeah, yeah. they just they make great great rifles, and you're just like, huh, wow, you guys are totally biting into this uh, into this pistol game now, after being missing for hundred and twenty years.
1: Well, I mean, Savage should have the the resources and technology to build a pistol with. With excellence, yeah. I mean they're they're yeah. they're a firearms manufacturer, so it's it's not really a big step for them to transition to pistols.
0: No, it's it's not not at all. I mean, it's just it's just changing your thought process at that point.
1: I yeah, mean, I don't even know if it's if it's even that. It's I mean, at least the projects I've been involved in, it's pistol, rifle. It doesn't really matter. They're they're they all shoot firearm. I mean they're. <laughs> yeah they all operate yeah, on the same principles and
0: it's in the end it's physics right mhm <laughs> i mean you have recoil you, you, everything is there it's all it's all physics yep yep so, so. now on your MRAs you have colors now they're coming out you're having like a limited edition color talk talk to me a little bit about how you guys came up with that
1: So we've been thinking about colors for probably the last five years, and we've never actually pulled the trigger on it. We've sent out things and tried to get people's feedback. Um, Colors can be finicky. I mean, there's people that want to have colored stuff on their weapon and and like that bling factor, and there's other people that want it really subdued. And so it's something where we finally jumped off the bridge and, and got a number of components colored up and we're going to see if if the marketplace likes it so and that's why it's limit it it's a limited run because if the marketplace doesn't like it then we may may drop it off but the marketplace responds well to it then we'll uh we'll push forward with some more
0: yeah because i mean people like some people like gucci glocks and some people don't right Um, i mean right uh you know, if you're a tactical person, you're not going to put a, a a pink adapter on your gun, right? No, <laughs> or or you might. Yeah, you, you never know. It it depends. Uh, but yeah, there is a, that is a very specific market, right? Yep um,
1: i've I've seen both sides of it where you've got a, an individual with a firearm that they it's it's got lots of bright colors and it's I mean they're an interesting looking weapon and then i see the like my neighbor over here he he brings in his sig and it's purposely distressed yeah and those are two complete up op- i mean i don't i don't purposely take a hammer to anything but this is this thing's been beat on to make it look dis- not that it's been damaged in any way but it it no, just, looks like it's it, been through a war
0: yeah that that was the purpose of the look it it's yeah. funny you're talking about that cuz you know people's decisions are different i i had built uh, 1911 for my wife. Um, it was a, it, it was a, an anniversary. It was our 20th anniversary. And it was, um, I was going to, I was going to, cause I, I, you know, I, I did, I did Cerakote as a, as an FFL and stuff like that. So I can refinish a gun and I'm sitting there thinking, okay, I'm going to do these colors and stuff like this. And then, um, the, my wife found out about it and she's like, okay, no, I'm like, well, this is how I was going to, you know, paint the gun up. Would you want to do something different? And she's like, oh yeah, (laughs) I totally want something different. And, um, I'm like, all right. She goes, why would it be tie dyed? I'm like, huh? I don't know if I could do tie dyed, but I could do, and I came up with this thing called hippie flush. So it's just camouflaged. It's, um, that's just bright colors, right? And and I didn't do it like with a stencil. I just kind of did a swipe and stuff like that to kind of make it a little bit like um, tie-dye. But I never would have thought of doing that gun that way, right? I mean, people have different thoughts.
1: Yeah, the, the female perspective can be pretty powerful on, on some of the weapons. I know that uh, my sales and marketing guy, his daughters are all about the pink ARs. Mm-hmm. They, they, uh, they really gravitate to those. And I mean, he wouldn't look at it twice and he talked about that. He's in the store and there's like, which one of these do you guys think is good? And they go over and they pick this bright colored pink AR off the shelf. And he's like, you got to be kidding me.
0: So, but the hello kitty look
1: (laughs) there, that's the one that they want to shoot. And they like shooting guns. It's just, they want it to be a little girlish for them, which is fine. I mean, that's, I think it's great. (laughs) So he goes out and shoots pretty much every weekend with his, his daughters and they love to shoot. And so, yeah, if they want a a pink gun, give them a pink gun. So if
0: it gets a bit to the sport, awesome. Um, you know, I, I, it's funny. I'm now thinking back as you're talking about that, I'm thinking back when I learned how to shoot, um, you know, we shot as a family and I was thinking if, if, if pink guns were back in back then, back in you know, the 70s and 80s, would my sister have shot more? More. Right? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, she it was challenging for her because she's a lefty. So, you know, you They're had a lefty. whole family of right-handed shooters and she's the lefty. Um, so it was a little tough for her on that, but it's one of those things. I, I think that it's amazing that the industry is starting to come out with things to, I hate saying this, but be more inclusive to everybody, right? Bring everybody Mm -hmm. in. We have a sport. We want to share it. Who cares if you have a pink gun? I'm not going to, I don't care. I'm just happy that you're shooting and that you're being safe.
1: I think it's an interesting thing, too, because the firearms community, to a certain degree, kind of looks at it a little standoffish on those bright colors. But our other hobbies are dealing with the motorsports industries. And if you look at those guys, there are some tough motorsports individuals and they wear wear some very bright feminine colored clothing and they yeah. make it work it looks good there's no no doubt about it and so I don't I don't think that I think that there's probably some cues that we could could be taken from the motorsports side of things on the firearms world that there's nothing wrong with a bright loud gun if that's your thing no. now if you're you navy sealed you may not want that
0: no <laughs> If, if you're wondering what I'm doing here, uh, I did spill my water on my on my computer here. <laughs> oh, so we're about to have a IT. So, oh, this thing shorts out and we suddenly get disconnected and I show up on another computer. Don't be surprised. Okay. <laughs> um, well we talked about pink guns and I just got excited. You know, I'm sorry. Yeah.
1: <laughs> uh, <laughs> no, but I mean it's 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 definitely a thing. I mean the the bright purples and blues and, and those are those definitely you can create some very very interesting weapons.
0: Well we talked about so we're talking about color and I was Suricoting. I mean, here's an AR upper yeah. that I did. Um <clears> that was uh this is one of the special colors from Suricoat. I think it was a Jesse one of the Jesse James colors. I think this is Cold War gray. Um, but yeah, I mean you have different colors. I mean, when I started doing Surcoat work, that was the coolest thing about doing that work is you could customize a gun now down to the color. Um, and yeah, I don't I, trust me. I've, I've sort of some guns that I've looked at going, I wouldn't choose that, but I don't care. I mean, if that, if that's what makes you happy. Again, go back to 11 yeah. with my wife. I think it's cool, but <laughs> yeah, it's not my cup of tea. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly.
1: Right. Different folks like different things. And I think that's, that's great. So, I, a pink gun. I mean, I, you've heard of muddy girl camo, right?
0: Oh yeah. That, well, it's funny. Cause yeah. when you're talking about um, your your sales, your sales guy going into the, into the store and the girls going after the pink gun. The first thing that went through my mind was they probably would gravitate right to the muddy girl.
1: Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I have a, a rifle stock that I was involved in that's done in a pink muddy girl camo. And it, I still have it. I mean, it sits on the display and it's a cool, it's a cool piece. I, I like the, the piece in and of itself, but I mean, is it my gun? No, it's not my gun, but it's, <laughs> it's definitely a cool piece of gear. And there are certain people that definitely would rock that.
0: Yeah. Well, it's funny. Cause you think about it. Cause I remember, you know, guns coming in money girl back when I was doing, um, when I was back when I was in FFL and I, you know, back then, that's before the circuit really kicked in and, and things like that. That was where people started to express, themselves through their firearms, right? I'm gonna have a Muddy Girl stock camo. Uh, I'm gonna have Muddy Girl camo, you know, shirts, and I'm gonna go out in the field with Muddy Girl. I'm like, awesome. If that gets you involved in the sport, I'm all for it.
1: Absolutely. Yep. Now, and I was gonna say, some of the newer newer stuff that I think I got involved in is the hydro dipping. Uh, One of the companies that I did some work for they. Uh, they're doing hydrographics, and it's some of the colors that they can come out with. Ooh, there's some I beautiful had, colors. Uh,
0: when I was doing sericoding, we we're look. I was looking at hydro dipping afterwards because um, I'm like, it's it's amazing what you can do with hydro dip. Um, it's it, it's a completely. I mean, you're taking literally a picture and putting it onto an object. Yeah, and. It the stuff that I've seen people do is was really cool. Um, it was just towards the end when we were getting ready to to close the business down. I'm like, ah, I'm just not gonna I'm not gonna spend you know another fifteen thousand dollars on hydrodip gear um, if if we're gonna close the business down. But yeah, it's it the stuff that is I mean, you can put it directly on the gun. I mean, I've seen even um, you know, uh, I'm thinking the Remington line back when Remington was still around. Uh, the AR, t- I saw an AR-10 that the entire gun, the barrel and everything, is camouflage. Mm-hmm. And it just you're, we've taken that technology so far that it's, it really is whatever you want to do, you can you can get done.
1: Yeah, these guys that I was working with, they're doing, they did entire ARs, the stock, the the receiver, the barrels, the whole thing. But then they were also doing the rings and the rifle scope. God. So yeah. Well, I, now how they kept it off the glass, I don't know for sure. But the whole rifle tape. scope, even <laughs> the turrets and everything, were all they were all hydro dipped.
0: Because that's one of your problems with doing surcoat work is is the, the optics. You know, um, you'd have to do an air cure for the optics because you know I'm not going to take an optic and throw it into a 300 degree oven and bake it um but that's the cool thing with with hydro dip is it's it's water it's water and ink
1: yeah well and they've done some really cool weapons that i've seen um but that company also i've seen them do four-wheeler fenders and all kinds yeah. of different things so it's it the um the last one i saw they actually hydro dipped uh, a bull elk's skull so not minus I've, the horns the horns they didn't hydro dip but the skull itself was hydro dipped and then the horns were on it, it was, i've seen it when they've cool done look. that
0: they they did like a bronze or a brass or gold um and then yeah the horns are just the normal horn so it looks like the gold Yeah, you know, the skull is is gold
1: yeah yeah, it was, it's a pretty cool pretty cool look i have to say
0: so so Now, when you guys do your colors, are they anodized? Or are are they like sericated? In our particular case, we
1: use anodizing.
0: Okay. I was, I was figuring that you did anodizing just because you're working with that metal, um, because anodizing color, anodizing is amazing, right? I mean, you just get a completely different look out of that.
1: So anodizing is a very, it can be very finicky. The substrate that you're working with has a major effect on the color output. But our bigger bigger reason for using anodizing at our stage is because the tolerances of the pinholes that are in our our plates, we can't tolerate the buildup. So yeah. there, it's a really tight tolerance. And so if we get into Cerakote or powder coat or any of those other type of processes, the buildup yeah. is it, because it's not yeah. consistent and we can't have it messing with the size of our hole. And so anodizing is really the, the direction we have to go for that option
0: and I, and that's why I don't think people understand you know when you, like for me I understand I understood it cuz the first gun I surcoated um was oddly enough one of my wife's guns <laughs> um it was uh I was like hey this is really cool and then I went to go put the gun together it doesn't fit, fit. <laughs> no nope. like I think I put that on a little too thick this is going back through the sandblaster uh, people don't realize that Cerakote does add, I mean, if you're doing it right, you're, we're talking about, you know, was it one or two mils, but when you're talking about <clears tight throat> things to begin with, you know, cause we're trying to hold something to a gun, especially like, you know, on a pistol, a slide that's moving. Yep. Um, there, you, you don't have a lot of wiggle room. Things, things have got to fit right.
1: No, there's working clearances that have to be there. And then when you Cerakote things, you can take away some of that working clearance and to the point it just doesn't function. Uh, and I've I've seen people that do a lot of Cerakoting on firearms, but they end up plugging a lot of the yep. critical features so that there's no Cerakoting getting into those because they can't change the tolerance of those features.
0: Well, it's like a barrel. When I would do a barrel, I'd have, literally I had plugs, I had a plug set of, you know, I'd plug both sides of the barrel because I can't mm-hmm. put the circuit down the barrel. Yep. Um and then, yeah, there are certain uh, there are certain holes that you can't do. So you, you put plugs in there to make sure that things don't get into the tight fitting places.
1: Yep. Yeah, it it's a it's a big deal. And so that's one of the reasons we don't use Cerakote for our, our product is because it changes the tolerance. Yep. And that that is something that we we try and keep a sharp eye on. We try and maintain very precise tolerances on our stuff very consistently over time.
0: Well you're a machine shop shop. I would expect <clears throat> you to have to, to be you know tight tolerance. You know, understanding the tolerances and making sure you don't not all up. machine
1: shops are created equal though.
0: I I, I know, I know. <laughs>
1: <laughs> there's 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 different levels of machine shops. And I mean we're not the highest end, but we're not the bottom end either. But we do have tolerances that we maintain and and want to control tightly, and we're tighter than most, for sure, in what we're doing. But
0: now, speaking uh, of tolerances, your um, your MRA, right? Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, it'll fit. You know, like if I get a Glock, a, a, a one for a Glock, it's designed to fit a Glock slide. But what about <clears throat> an after, an aftermarket slide? One so an four, aftermarket possibly. Depends
1: on the aftermarket slide and it depends on what they cut into it. So if you take, let's take a Glock, for example, our Glock Mura is designed to fit a Glock slide. If you get an aftermarket slide and it's a flat top slide and it uses exactly the same tolerances for the dovetail that Glock uses, then there's a pretty good chance it's going to fit just fine. But if it uses a wider dovetail or they change the tolerance of that, that rear sight slot, there's a pretty good chance it's not going to fit. And to give you an idea on how that works, our XD plate mm-hmm. and our Glock plate are the same plate. Oh wow. The difference, the difference is the dovetail. So the XD dovetail is ten thousandths wider than the Glock dovetail.
0: What's funny is, is for those listening thinking ten thousandths is nothing, but in when you're talking about machining, that's everything.
1: That's a ton. And we try and maintain a little bit of a press fit to a slip fit there's a, there's a fine line of balance there so that the customer can install it if should they wish to do so. But, uh, sometimes you get ones that go in really hard and other times you get ones that will fall through. And that's, that's something that we've had customers call back and say, Hey, this dovetail just falls through. It doesn't, it doesn't press in it's broken. That's not how the the Murrah system works. In that type of scenario, it actually uses the dovetail as a clamp. So when you tighten the screws down in the murr, it pulls the dovetail up into the dovetail slot and clamps the plate to the top of the slide.
0: So, so it's got, not de- your your screws are pulling up on the plate. Mm-hmm. You're you yeah you have you have opposite forces going on there. <clears throat> it creates uh, a very
1: ro- very robust uh, uh, clamping system.
0: Yeah. Cause you're at that point you're mechanically locking it. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. You're not yeah, relying that's... on a, pre- you're not relying on a press fit. The press fit yeah. is the press fit is just for installation purposes. If it, if it slides in a little hard, it makes it a little easier to install. Um, if it's, if it just falls out cause you tip it on the side, well then, yeah, you got to kind of keep the slide sitting straight up and put the plate on and get the screws tightened down to the point that there's some drag and then you can kind of center things up. But, uh, the idea is that the, the dovetail actually clamps a plate to the top of the slide. You're not relying on a press fit to hold it in place, which yeah. would be bad, I think.
0: Well, <laughs> it, that's probably why um, one of the things I hated a, a, a doing work on guns was <laughs> Springfield, the XDs. I hated doing uh. site work on an XD, right? So, yeah, you you know... For those you don't know in the uh in in the podcast world out there, an XD is one of the most miserable experiences doing site work on because I don't know, man, they must have like a 50 you know, like a 50-ton ram to put these things in.
1: I think they probably heat that slide up to a million degrees and they dip the site in liquid nitrogen and before they put it together it's <laughs> they got to have about a 15 or 20 thousands press fit in that. And they do not come apart. They're, no, I mean, they're definitely get, locked in place.
0: I had to get, um, I had to get a special site pusher. Well, not special. I just, this is when, if you work on an XD, you will learn how good quality of a uh, site pusher you have is. <laughs> um,
1: yeah, I, I broke a few.
0: I have two. Um, and then I, ha- I have one that, that's the reason I I I had an XD slide that I was start coding and um, yeah, I it was that site was a nightmare, and I went out and bought. Gosh, I, this site pusher was like six hundred dollars, and even then I was cranking the hell out of it. And at the time, it was like li- <clears throat> literally like the marketing on the site pusher, and it, it's a multi-site site pusher, you know, multi-slide site pusher, but there. <laughs> I wouldn't say they're marketing the unofficial the, the community marketing of this site pusher was this is the only one that'll do an XD slide. You know, all the gunsmiths mm-hmm. are like this is the only one that'll do an XD slide. I'm like, oh that's the one I'm buying.
1: <laughs> yeah, so we actually I've I've broken enough of them that I we've actually switched around here and anymore. I just use a machinist vice and then I have a set of ejector pins for an injection molding system that I use to punch sites out and those they're, they're hardened. And so yeah. they take a beating beyond most things. And I, that's, that's the only way I've ever figured out how to get the XD. Now the XD site doesn't come out unscathed.
0: No, the site no. itself
1: is, it's usually, I've had a few people are like, Hey, I'd like to change this out. And, and I said, well, plan on the site going in the trash when it's over, whatever yeah. you're putting back on it will be fine. But that site, if you want to take that site out, it's done. It's done. So, and I, I'm i not going to heat your stuff up because it changes the, you can affect the coatings and all of that. But yep. yeah, we've, that's, that's basically what we resorted to. We have a 90 pound vise that we stick the slides in and then basically a hammer and a punch. It's,
0: yeah, <laughs> it, it, I, I, the hammer and punch was how I, I, I resorted to those XDs. And I'll be talking about. Uh, when I'm talking about a hammer. I'm talking about like a 32 ounce hammer.
1: Yeah, <laughs> a, ha- know, a hammer. This
0: is, yeah, this is this is not your little, you know, four ounce or eight ounce gunsmith hammer. I'm using a. I was, I was using like a 32 ounce ball peen hammer to mm-hmm. try to get those things to move. And you are you you are literally destroying those sights. Um, Absolutely.
1: Yeah, the only one that I've I found that was even worse than that was there was some Beretta sights that I dealt with, and oh. I ended up I ended up breaking my punches on those, wow. damaged the hell out of the sights, but breaking the punches. And I finally what I ended up resorting to for the customer is I took a Dremel tool and um, a cutoff wheel and cut through the sight until it collapsed enough that I could push it out.
0: I've done that on a couple of XDs. <laughs> because um, i was just i was i was i was just done pounding on these slides um yeah. yeah 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 you just cut straight across the slide with that cutoff wheel and then yeah like you said you now you got um you now have a void in the middle that you can deal with um yeah you know, that, metal can move
1: <laughs> it was able to collapse in on itself enough that i could put it still had a lot of press on it but yeah. Uh, it I left maybe ten or fifteen thousandths along the bottom, so there was almost nothing left, but it finally was able to get pushed out. But that was that was a beretta. That and they Man. whatever they did was way worse than XD. I
0: must so have been an I Italian never... Beretta, because I doubt an American Beretta would have done that.
1: Well, it was an older one. I mean, this was back yeah. when I was dealing with, with actual sites, I was yeah. doing site development, so instead of optics adapters.
0: Well, let's switch on that because you do have some <clears throat> sites, right? Um, yep. Let's see here. Let me bring that up. We have the um, the pyramid sites,
1: managed tactical pyramid sites, dark diamond sites. Yes.
0: So now, talk a little bit about those. Um, how did you come up with with that?
1: I didn't. I didn't come up with that. I. Uh, Back in my younger days when I was doing work for other people, um, this particular individual, I ended up meeting at SHOT Show. I was introduced by a mutual friend, and he needed help designing stuff because that was what I was doing at the time. I was designing, designing products and plastic injection molded parts and injection molds, and I was introduced to this individual, and he already had the patents and the concept and the whole nine yards. And... He said, this is what I want to do for the next firearm. Can you design this up for me based on my existing Glock? Because he already had a Glock designed. And I said, sure, why not? And I, I got familiar with the sites at that point. And I, I really like these, this site system. It, uh, there's very few site systems and it's, it's hard to explain to anybody unless you actually have the firearm in hand and can lift up and look at the sights, like you're trying to shoot at a target, you can't describe it. What happens? They naturally align. Everything's intuitive. Um, they're easy to see. It, it just, it fit for me. And so for the next, I think it was seven or 10 years, I just designed sites for this company on and off throughout the, throughout my time. And then we actually built some parts for them. Well, he reached retirement age and decided he wanted out. And so I was like, well, I'll take over. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, <clears throat> I like those sites. So I, and I already know about the manufacturing cause we were building all the stuff for him and I knew about the design cause I designed all the CAD files for 90% of the stuff that he had. So it, it just seemed like a
0: good fit. It's a, it was a natural takeover for you at that point it was
1: we already had all of the stuff so mostly it was just logistics on paperwork and switching accounts around which was interesting but yeah that site system is very unique in terms of the way that it it sets up a pyramid shape and this individual is a psychologist which he's also a, a gun guy a very avid gun guy and what he realized is that the the human mind naturally wants to align geometric shapes and so the pyramid shape when you try and bring the front sight to the rear sight your your mind naturally aligns the sides creates the and it's it is the the most surreal thing to pick the firearm up and and have it just naturally do that you don't even have to try it just does it
0: that's the that's amazing because because that's the hardest part about teaching someone to shoot at least on pistols is you you start talking about the the rear sight and the front sight. And then, you know, you got to magically get all these things to be equal distance and stuff like that. It's, it's a lot of thought process to get that sight to align.
1: This doesn't um, do any of that. It just, they actually did a test before I was involved where they had some police departments do it on new shooters and they had new shooters using conventional sites and new shooters using these sites and within minutes, the new shooters using these sites were hitting the targets where they needed to, and were proficient with it. Whereas the other ones, they were still having trouble getting alignment to take place. So yeah, it, it's
0: that it's t- it's a t- it's it's tough. It's stressful because then people are just like, I I suck at this, and it, it you know it's something we definitely don't want to do to new shooters. We want to make that that first experience enjoyable. And I've. You know, I understand the concept of, you know, I've been shooting for over 40 years. You know, I understand the the concept of sites. But as a kid, man, I just want to, you know, especially now, everybody's attention span is about this big, right?
1: Well, so, everybody likes the new digital electronic stuff, for sure. Yeah. Um, and this, this doesn't have any digital electronic stuff, so it's it's kind of off in the corner. But if you need something that never fails because the battery went dead or whatever, that that's, this is the way to go.
0: Well, that's a big thing that I talk to people about. Like, you know, I'll bring up my X five here again. Um, That's great. You know, it's great. I got my red dot. Um, I was always an iron sight shooter. I started playing with red dots. Um, That's great. All the way up until that battery dies in the middle of a shoot. Right. Yeah. Like, (laughs) Like, I'll be at the point where <clears throat> I'll just change the battery before a shoot, just to make sure I have a fresh battery. Absolutely. Um, but well, yeah, there's nothing. It, that's,
1: it, early it on, there were some electronics failures, too.
0: Yes. Well, again, you know, we are talking about um, electronics sitting on top of a mechanical thing, going back and forth, battering the optics.
1: Most people don't realize the amount of violence that's happening to that optic at that point. And it is violence. There's no, no two ways about it. The, the optic is seeing a very violent event.
0: Yeah. Well, so it's sitting there. It's suddenly, it's moving. You know, in an instant, to the point where it's it's, you know, the slide hits all the way to the back, where suddenly it stops moving and starts going the opposite direction, where there is an impact force. You know, an impact force in the back, and then an, an even harder impact force in the front. That's yeah. a lot of forces going on that optic.
1: There are there are a ton of forces and it's amazing that we can build stuff that stand up to all that, but they do. So it, it's kudos to the the guys building the optics.
0: Now on the on your sites here, what's the difference between a starter, a standard, a master, <clears throat> and a Firefly glow kit? Because you can buy your sites in different kits.
1: So what we, when we took over, one of the things we tried to do is say, okay, these sites are relatively expensive based on this large kit, because there's a lot of stuff you get with that kit. And so we wanted to create a price point that was closer to the existing marketplace. And so the starter kit is basically you get one color, you get one color in the front, one color in the rear. If you want at a later time, or even at the time of purchase, you can add other colors to that kit and kind of customize it to your own preferences. The standard kit is our standard five color system. So it's got five colors up front and five colors in the rear. The Firefly kit is is one color in the rear and then it's got three colors, I believe, glow inserts that are up front. Now these inserts have to be charged with UV light or sunlight and then they glow for, I think it's eight to 12 hours uh, over a period of time. That is the Firefly kit, the master kit, is all of it together okay cool so if if you buy the master kit you get all five front colors you get all five rear colors you get the glow inserts it's all of the bells and whistles so and the starter kit like i said it's if somebody's like hey, i want to dip my toe in there i don't know exactly how this is going to behave and then they go you know what i don't really like this one color that i bought how about if buy? it's i think it's five dollars for a front insert and five dollars for a rear insert they can buy a different color and switch yeah, it out
0: it's, it's- It's affordable at that point because everything's done. You just swap it out and I don't like this. Okay, cool. Convert it. Yeah. Like everything else, like everything else you make, it's modular. Yeah. Well, and it, it,
1: believe it or not, different people like different colors in their Um, sites. One of the things for me is I don't care for green in the site. I don't like having the green colors in the site. The reason I don't like the green colors in the site is anytime I get a green background, i.e. a tree, a bush, grass, the sites disappear into that background, which is what, but if you're in the desert, yeah, a green, yeah, it works great.
0: Another thing to think about is that, um, you know, I know a couple of people who are colorblind, like they can see color, but there are certain colors they can't, they just don't make out. Right. And therefore they can change the site out to whatever, make sense to them for whatever they're dealing with.
1: Exactly. That would, that would allow them to set up what other color combination actually shows up to Horse them print. best. Yeah. Yeah. What, what gives their eye the, the best vision? Um, the other thing that seems to be happening, this is not something that I was inclined to, but it seems like older shooters are gravitating to these sites as well. They find them easier to see than the the smaller
0: sites. Well, so it's, it's funny because, you know, I have two sets of glasses and just depends on, <laughs> you know, I got, I have the monitor on the wall. It's actually a TV on the wall there that I'm talking to you on. The computer's here. When I bring up the websites, it's here. But then I got my long distance. Yeah. So going to shooting, that, yeah, I, I can see where you, you would simplify because that's mostly why I started going to red dots is because uh, the, my distance in my, you know, short distance sight is they're changing <laughs> yeah. at different paces. It's hard to keep up with it, but yeah, I could see where um, that site system work would work for them.
1: A lot of older shooters do definitely gravitate towards it. And, and it, we're getting guys that have known about the site system for 10 years, they're coming back in and getting, they're getting a new firearm and they're wanting to adapt this to their new firearm because it's, it's easier for them to see because they've aged and, uh, yeah. But that's not something that I've yet experienced. I guess I haven't reached that age quite yet. <laughs> I mean, the vision's starting to go, unfortunately, but it's not not gotten terrible yet.
0: Yeah, well, that's like um, when I take uh, my mom out shooting. She's in her seventies and she has uh, macular degeneration. Yeah. So for her, it's um, shooting is a shooting becomes a chore. She enjoys it still. But she's down to the point where she doesn't go by herself. Um, And then when I go, it's, you know, we go, we stay in outdoor ranges because rules are a little easier on outdoor ranges than indoor ranges. Um, But it's just one of those things is, you know, sight systems become a problem. Um, You know, as we start aging, you know, it's, it is, I see it in my vision. I know I have a cataract in my left eye that, Hasn't affected my vision yet, but I know in the back of my mind, one day that's going to be surgery. Um, but yeah, it's it's a, a simpler sighting system. Right? Like you know, that's why I said, you know, that's why I started going to red dots because it's just a simpler sighting system for me. You know, as long as that thing is zeroed, I put the dot on what I want to hit and squeeze the trigger. So yours is basically kind of like a you know the the, the pyramid system is almost like an analog version of that. Uh, it it's very
1: close to that and and like i said people don't understand it until they p- actually pick up a demo pistol or a demo rifle and align the sights actually align it on a target at that point and only at that point does the system make sense does the understanding come to it, come to bear and we've tried to do some things on our website where it shows the the firearm aligning it doesn't give it it doesn't translate yeah So it, the only way to actually look at it is to literally pick it up and, and hold the fist pistol or the rifle in your arm and line it up and, and pick a target. And then you go, oh, that's That's what that does. (laughs) Yes. That's why this works. And the, the other interesting part is is as nice as it is on pistols, uh, shotguns are another one where this gets put on and it's even faster on a shotgun.
0: It's funny. I don't even think of it on a shotgun. I, when I see this, I think of it as a pistol optic. Uh, I don't, or not optic, but a pistol sight. I, it's funny. I, I can now see. I can now see where it would go on a shotgun. I mean, that's.
1: It doesn't make any like, sense, and even when you look at it on a shotgun, it doesn't make any sense until you shoulder it. Yeah. Then once you shoulder it, you go. That's what that does. Wow. Huh. Okay. Let me try that again. And it, it, there are very few people that I've run across that don't get pretty much the same reaction. Uh, I've got one of our guys, our social media guy. His reaction was he didn't care for it at all. And that he's very rare. But he's also military. He's ex-military. Yeah. And he's, he's highly, trained a certain way. highly trained. And he said that my caring for it has nothing to do with whether it's a good or bad product. It has to do with the fact that I've been trained on this type of weapon system this type of sighting system and it doesn't fit that criteria. He said, so it's definitely off the beaten path for him.
0: You you have me now rethinking my Benelli M2 for three gun. (laughs) 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 As you're talking, I'm sitting there going, that's what's going through my mind. It's like, huh, I'm rethinking my sights on my Benelli M2 right now. (laughs) It's,
1: it's definitely an interesting system to say the least. So, and that's, so that's why I got into it. Cause when I started using it and I was testing it and we were playing around with it, I just, I went, this site system just works. It feels really good. It's natural. It's intuitive. It just works. So when he decided to sell and I mean, he was winding the company down and kind of offloading the assets. I said, you know what? <laughs> <laughs> our impact was already started. We were already doing our thing and we just, you know, why don't we just bring that on into to the fold and, we'll go forward with it from there. I mean, you're getting out, out of it. So.
0: Yeah.
1: Yeah. Just, we'll just add it to the outer impact product line. And that's what we did.
0: Now what's the difference between the pyramid and the, uh, the dark diamond sites?
1: So technically there's not a lot of difference between them in terms of functionality. The difference is is the dark diamond is just a rear black site and it doesn't have a forward Canton angle. It goes in more like a conventional rear sight. Um, but it still aligns out the back end in a pyramid shape. But then you also have the diamond shape that shows up as well.
0: Now, I'm going to talk. I'm going to change gears a little bit. and I want to talk about probably one of my favorite. Now, don't get me wrong. I like I like the adapters for the pistol. But um I'll pull over right here. <laughs> off of this AR the co-witness site. <clears throat> yeah uh, Mara, this is this has got to be one of the coolest products. And it, it's so funny it's, it's, it's simple. It's such a simple design yeah you, know, you look at it and go, well why did somebody not come out with this before right?
1: That design we arrived at was very simple, but it was 15 iterations later. And we actually built 15, designed up, drew 15 different versions of it because it wasn't quite the look we were looking for. And I think we spent a year or two messing around with that before I finally said, okay, we got to move this forward. And we jumped back into that very simple design and it works. It works well. Um, I can also tell you that during testing, I learned a whole lot about red dots and how they behave because a colleague of mine was involved in this. And when we, I took it to the range and started messing with it at one point when I was moving things up and down, I ended up calling him, asking him, why are we doing this? This thing's broke, uh, because people don't understand that once you get your irons lined up, that you can move the optic up and down and don't have to re-sign in. Yeah. Which is not normal with a conventional rifle scope, and I I was more into the conventional rifle scopes in that particular time, and so I moved it up, and I'm like, it's still aligned, and, and I, that's when I started talking to my buddy and said, hey man, this thing's broke. This, there's something <laughs> something haywire here. It's not moving up like it's supposed to. What's going on here? And as it turns out, it's a function of the way the uh, red dot optic works. It's interesting science for sure.
0: Yeah, because I, I just, that's the one thing that always drove me nuts is that you you buy a co-witness mount, right, for for a red dot. And it's like, choose small or large. Like, yeah. okay, um, I think, you know, I'm like playing around trying to think, I, I think it would do this, right? And if it's not, I can adjust it a little bit, but then um, I'm... I'm married to that design, right? That, that's, that's what it is. Like on this red dot here, I can pull it off. That's on my 308. I can pull that off and put it onto my, you know, two, two, three and mm-hmm. readjust it. Or I've even when, you know, when I tested this stuff, I tested it on the, the 308, the two, two, three and uh, my Benelli M2. Cause I'm trying to, honestly, I'm trying to pound <clears throat> the hell out of the product. Um, and it, it just worked. It's great because I could just readjust, and I'm just done.
1: So as as far as pounding the hell out of the product, we went out and tested it on a Mossberg 590M shooting ounce and a quarter slugs. Oh wow! So it uh, it holds up fine.
0: Yeah, it does. <laughs> the, shoot,
1: the shooters were not happy.
0: No, because I was shooting it through uh, Benelli, my Benelli M2 with one ounce slugs, um, and then uh, this 308. I, it's funny because uh, a couple of people call my 308 a uh, shake and bake because I'm shooting with a 16 inch barrel with a brake on it. <laughs> uh, if something's going to fail, that gun finds it because you have that brake bringing all the gases back. Um, and it's loud. <laughs> you have the percussion yep. uh, just, I, I test everything on that because th- this is what I'm going to find out where something's going to fail. <clears throat> and man, that thing just, I mean, it held on. I mean, there's two screws to mount it yep. onto the rail. And then there's, you know, you slide this in and out and move it up and down. And then the one screw, honestly, that's where I thought it was going to fail. Um, yeah. There's a lot of it, surface I,
1: contact there.
0: there a ton of surface contact. Because um, I was looking at it because... When you have that screw out, it, it's 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 loose, right? I mean, mm-hmm. and I'm like, I don't know about this. And then when I torque that screw, it's it's not moving. It's just no, not moving.
1: It also repeats. It goes back to the same. You can untorque it and torque it back in, and it, it repeats back to the same location.
0: Yeah, it's it's exact every time.
1: Yeah. Yep. Yeah, nope. And that's that's why we did the five. So I was involved in the five ninety M project at one point, but the reason we did the 590M project or the 590M as a test platform is because I knew how brutal that weapon was. Yeah. I'd, I'd had to do a lot of shooting with that particular weapon with ounce and a quarter slugs. And, uh, I ended up taking my team out because they have never been involved in that type of thing before. And we, I think we shot, uh, 500 rounds of ounce and a quarter slugs through that. And it, uh, they got done. They said, we don't want to do that again.
0: <laughs> yeah. Their, sh- their shoulders were hurting. Weren't <laughs> <they>? <laughs> oh
1: yeah. They, they had red marks, and they weren't happy. So, <laughs> which it, it's funny because during the testing of that, I was good for about four hundred rounds, and then I'm done.
0: Yeah, that's, that's it, about the end of it. It takes a lot. Um, I've had I've had my shoulder, my right shoulder, re, uh, operated on twice. Once when I was eighteen, I tore it out, and I tore it out again. Gosh, about ten years ago. Um, mm. So yeah, my shoulder gets a little. Uh, uh, Twelve gauge hurts me a little bit these days. Um, no bet, but yeah, it's uh, it, it's great when you can take. Uh, I love I love taking products out and seeing them perform, especially when I'm throwing everything at them that I can. Um, I mean, you know that uh, that's a Crimson Trace 1400. That's on top of that. I was testing that um, that particular red dot at the same time as I was testing that, um, that mount. And so I'm throwing everything at it. And then uh, I was shooting at the range, which is about a half hour away. And there's some switchback turns coming up. Um, actually, I was going away from home just to get the switchback turns. So, you know, in Montana here, it's 80 mile an hour speed limits on an, on an interstate. I just threw my trunk, in, I just threw the rifle in my trunk, Right. 80-mile-an-hour through some switchback turns, and I, I could hear that rifle just banging around in the trunk. And then I came back, went to the range, and it was still dead on. Um, everything was great. I'm like, this is an awesome combination.
1: Yeah, it it was definitely – we got excited once we started understanding what it was doing for us. I mean, we we went into it because of the co-witnessing aspect of it, and we're like, how do you know which one of these to use? How do you deal with yeah. – the different heights and because our platform covered so many variations we had to be able to cover the variations in height And so that's when we started down that path that's really how we got started but it was the learning as we went that oh this this operates way different than I anticipated I anticipated anytime you moved it you'd have to reside it in and all of this stuff and that's not what happens you get it cited in the first time and then you can just move it up and down and place the dot wherever you want within the window of the, the optic it and it, there it is <laughs> yeah it, it creates a very interesting situation and most people are very surprised by that aspect of it so they don't they don't realize that they're, they're they think the same thing i thought It's broken <laughs> something's wrong here why didn't why didn't it why didn't it move well yeah. it's because it's because the the science behind the red dot it's not the it's not a rifle scope a rifle scope if you did move it up and down you have to resign it in
0: well, and that's funny because um, the first time out with a red dot, um, a, a, a guy I knew, he, he bought one. I wasn't big into the red dots, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so we took it out. And then that's what we were doing is, you know, we're, we're sitting there with, with, the, uh, with the rifle and we're sitting there like purposely like canting the rifle to get it to where, you know, it was co-witnessed. We're like, okay, the sights aren't right with a dot there's no way but yet you squeeze the trigger where the bullet went right where the dot went it's just the whole science of that red dot is just like yeah it doesn't matter that you're not dead on behind your rifle
1: it's definitely a brain twister for sure yeah so we had a good time with it we shot a number of rounds through it (laughs) and it was actually to be honest with it was actually quite intriguing on the shotgun that was that was surprising because that's not really its intended place, but it was it was definitely intriguing on the shotgun with the ounce and a quarter slugs, and it seemed to be right on, right out of the gate for some reason. I mean, we never sighted it in. We it just right out of You're, the gate, the, the dot was where the slugs were hitting, which I mean you can't get that lucky twice.
0: No. So no.
1: <clears throat> but yeah, the guys really liked the fact that the, it worked on the shotgun. So and it works on the AR too. It's, yeah, it's pretty it, cool.
0: It, it is a cool. It's such a cool, and that's, you know, like I said, I like, don't get me wrong, I like the mirrors, but that, that co-witness mirror. I was just, I, I looked at it, I'm like, okay, that's a cool product, and then I didn't understand how cool it was until I got it out to the range, Um, <laughs> and, and honestly, when I looked at it, I'm like, all right, this thing doesn't fit in here, you know, it fits in here, but if it's, it fits, it's loose, I don't know how it's going to do torque it down. Oh, that's not moving. Like you said, there's a lot of surface area where everything is clamping together and then you have the teeth in there to make sure that you're exactly where, you know, where you set it, you just put in that teeth and it's right there every single time. Um, it was just, it it was, I, I, that's why I said I I look at it, it's such a simple design and you go, why did it take someone so long to come up with that simple, you know, something that simple
1: that part i don't know i mean it it's for us it was the next logical step i guess if you're trying to do an adjustable red dot where you have a, a plate that covers so many optics and you want to be able to to move the move it up and down for the various optics that you're going to be putting on there because not all of the optics are the same height and they don't all have the same window no. size yep. so it makes it well how which which co-witnessing system do you buy for this particular optic and that was that was one of our frustrations when we started looking at is okay how do I know where this is going to put this particular optic it might be meant for a vortex but I'm trying to use it on something completely different. Yeah so what mounting system do I need to get here do I need to get a vortex or Trigicon or 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 the Burris or whoever happens to have the a different height co-witnessing system. Yeah and so this was logical for us because it covered the the gamut said, Hey, we can, it it doesn't matter what optic you put on here. You're going to get some level of co-witness that you're going to be happy with.
0: Yeah. It just took your modularity to the next level at that point. Yeah. I can, I can shoot anything and I can go witness it. It's just, there I go. Right. I don't, I really don't have to think at that point. I just go, I just go get what I want, put it on my rifle and I'm just ready to go. Yep. Yep. (laughs) Now, We talked a little bit or you talked a little bit about um, optics, you know, not the electric optics. You're a big optics guy. So let's bring up Pick Rails. Yeah. You also make Pick Rails.
1: Pick Rails are actually the product that started this company. Awesome. Believe it or not.
0: Is that because you're an optics guy?
1: No. Pick Rails, uh, the company's got a long story behind it in terms of how it started. Um, pick rails are something that we decided to do because we needed products to generate revenue for other projects that we wanted to get done. And we said, hell we could the, at the time, the pricing of pick rails was such that we're like, we can build them for this and generate revenue. And as it turns out, we, we build a pretty good pick rail. Um, means the tolerances that we hold on a lot of the stuff that we deal with in terms of the critical mounting surfaces is plus or minus a half thou on the pick rail. Wow. So, and we do that because anodizing can be very disruptive to the tolerance, the the type three anodizing that we go through. And so we try and keep our rails as consistent as, as we absolutely can at the machining level so that any variation at the anodizing level is still within the, the tolerance range of a standard Picatinny rail. Um, but we started building pick rails and they turned into their own beast is really what happened there. (laughs) And as, as far as the, the zero and 20 MOA aspect of things, uh, a lot of people come from the zero MA, they're not doing long distance shooting. And so they start out with a zero MA, uh, if you're doing longer range shooting, then you're going to want to step up to a 20 MOA. Which gets you more distance in your rifle scope, and there's guys that get even more extreme, and they do 40, 60, and 80 MOAs. And I've even seen stuff as high as 200 MOA.
0: God, at that point, but, it's almost a mortar. Yeah, some of the guys, <laughs> some
1: of the guys that are that are colleagues of mine, they're out shooting extreme long range stuff these days, and they've actually got uh, Picatinny rail systems that adjust. They actually dial their Picatinny rail and then they dial the scope too. Oh, wow. So, which is, well, when you're trying to push 3000 yards, it's, you know, that's.
0: You've got a lot of stuff going on at 3000 yards. Yeah, that's,
1: there's some things happening to get that far.
0: Because at that point, I mean, at 3000 yards, you've, you're way beyond your turret system, right? I mean, yeah, that's, and that's that's the whole that's what idea I was is, to, is to move the scope. That's why these guys the are
1: getting something like 200 MOA pick rails on there, so that they can try and keep everything within the scope while they're out there. And what this particular individual found is that he wanted to be able to have the Picatinny rail adjust its MOA with an actual dial, so he could say, "I want to dial in 70 MOA," and then he dials in on the scope too, so that he can get that's you know 140 MOA out of a, a system that's still zeroed at a zero MOA rating. Wow. So the
0: long range. And that's, I like to tell everybody I'm a pistol guy that wants to be a rifle guy. Right? I mean, um, I love, I love rifles. Um, there's a content creator. It's just, he lives, uh, well, actually in Helena now, I uh, he just moved uh, from the next town over into Helena that he's a long distance guy. And, um, we've, we've long joked around saying that he's going to teach me how to shoot rifle and I'm going to teach him how to shoot pistol. Yeah, there um, you go. And he just did, um, King of the Mile mm-hmm. uh, down in Texas. And he's just like, man, this is, just, that's like nothing like you've ever done before.
1: Yeah. There's, there's some pretty intricate stuff. One of the, one of the things that kind of got me started in looking at long distance sh- shooting type events was, uh, uh, it's called uh, practical long range shooting. And <clears throat> what I got to watch there in those guys is the environment that they were doing the shooting in was a very serious environment in terms of challenging the equipment and the people and the firearms. So, uh, the guy that won the contest that I remember there was, they get a hundred shots at these targets and they get one shot per target. And the guy that won the contest hit 80 out of a hundred targets and they range anywhere from 600 to like 1500 yards in distance. They have to ruck all their stuff into a a location. Then they have to locate all the targets, range them and then engage them. And they get one shot per target. Some of this stuff they were shooting in was 35 mile an hour gusting winds. And the, the, and the targets were, I mean, they weren't very big. And when I looked at that, and that guy, I watched the the shots, some of these shots being taken in these 35 mile an hour gusting winds, and their their platform shaking all over the place. I'm, I don't know, how you guys are shooting anything, um, but it impressed me. So the, the guy that won, like I said, he got 80 out of 100, and I'm sure those ones he missed were not by very much. Yeah, that's so.
0: I mean, you talk you talk about just just packing your gear in. It's tough, yes,
1: right. I mean every you're, everything you're talking, they have to have is on their back.
0: Everything's on their back. So you you, you got the stress on <clears> your actual, you know, core of your body and your legs and knees carrying all that stuff in. You're elevating your heart rate because you're hiking that crap in. Then you have the mental challenge of trying to figure out, you know, all your ranges and start, you know, working through your rifle dope and stuff like that, trying to figure out your shots. Yep. It oh, shot. it's
1: under time pressure too.
0: <laughs> oh you no! Know, they'd, they'd add time on top of it. Yeah, I mean, there's yeah, there's no stress in that competition at all, is there?
1: No, but it was impressive. I mean, and the interesting thing for me was that there there were guys there that had guns that were ridiculously accurate, easy to shoot guns that were ridiculously accurate that they couldn't engage the targets because the dust that was blowing around was mucking up the action enough it wouldn't cycle.
0: <laughs>
1: just just the super fine powder in the air was yeah. locking up these these guns that were super precision machines. And then yeah. these other guys were coming in with, with military long-range type weapons, and they were having no trouble firing off rounds. And so there was this balance between something that just goes bang, make sure that something goes downrange, yeah. and something that's accurate enough to engage these targets that you're after and be consistent, but not get mucked up by the environment that you're in, which you wouldn't think that, but... The 35 mile an hour wind and the dust that was being kicked up—it caused all kinds of grief with some of these these higher end guns.
0: Well, it, it's funny you say that because you know, for me, um, doing shooting, I mostly do uh, USPSA, and yeah, you know, you're seeing the Glocks, the SIGs come through, and then you see somebody come in with a Kimber. Now, I I like Kimber. I love that they have tight tolerances. The Kimbers, <clears throat> those guys are literally cleaning their guns halfway through just to keep them running because once yeah. they get a little bit dirty, they're done. Right. I mean, you're sitting there jamming the back of the slides. So you're having the exact same problem. You had that balance of practical versus precision.
1: And yeah. And I wasn't, I wasn't involved in the competition, but I, I definitely, it was something I watched because it was, man, you it learned. was, Oh man. <laughs> I I like the, I like the concept. I like the challenge that they were going through because it, it was, to me, it was more relatable than just sitting down at a bench and shooting something at a long distance. It was in the environment.
0: And that's the thing, like for me, you know, I learned to shoot. It was, you know, in a lane, you didn't move. Um, you know, as I get into competition shooting, you start working, you know, in bays, right. And then going into 3Gun, now you're working multiple disciplines. That's where the fun is. When you get to, you start to do things, I get bored with sitting there. You know, I can shoot off a bench. It's awesome. It's great. But eventually I'm going to want to do something different, right? I mean, I I can see where that would be interesting. You know, I I have uh, a friend of mine, his content creator friend, he started doing long range last year and you know they're they're shooting and they're moving to another stage and you know setting up and reshooting and I go that's where it would be that's where it would be interesting for me because I would be bored just laying on a mat all day long popping targets
1: yeah these guys they they I think they had six or seven different stations they had to work between so they would sh- engage six or seven targets at a station and then have to pack up and move to a different station yeah. <clears throat> and I, one of the one of the spots that you had to shoot from was a cliff overhanging the valley and you were shooting down into the valley. And I thought, wow, that's, that's a little tough. But then the next one they show is a guy's in a station and he's trying to set his gun on a piece of downfall. There's a log laying there and he's trying to set it on it. And his legs are hanging out under it. He's in one of the most awkward positions I think I've ever seen, but that's how he had to engage the target because he, he couldn't get shot. on it. He couldn't get it on yeah. on the target any other way. The next guy, he's in. Uh, they, they've got him set up in this spot, and they're, he's laying in a bunch of gopher mounds. I mean, it it's yeah. it, it's not just it's not a bench That's, for sure. The it's a the other side, yeah. It's it's a practical side. Another one, the guy's got his gun. He's laying across the hood of a jeep. This is the one that really got me because that was the 35 mile an hour winds going, and the Jeep's shaking around, and he's trying to have his gun on top of that thing. He ends up taking a shot, and then he moves off the Jeep to a fence line and sets his gun on a stack of tires. So it's – I mean, there, there's an area, I guess, of influence that you can shoot from, but it, this is a real-world-type application that you're
0: having to use the stuff that's here to try and get the shot. And Someone was sitting there going, you know what? I'm going to make everybody do what I did in Fallujah. <laughs> yeah. So <laughs> let's make this nice and easy for them. yeah
1: (laughs) so but that that kind of piqued my interest in that type of thing because that if that was the type of competition i would get into that's what i would get into something that's more practical in application than sitting down at a bench and just throwing throwing chunks down range
0: yeah it's i like to say um you know i talk to people because of the whole kimber thing i like to say i'm a practical pistol person i look at a gun for its purpose Right, mm-hmm. uh, I'll choose it for a specific purpose, and I want to make sure it goes bang every time. Right, yep. that that's one of my one of my biggest uh, things. You know, when I first started competing, I was competing with Glocks. Uh, Glocks will go bang every time. Um, getting older, and I've been banging away on keyboards. Carpal tunnel becomes a thing. So mm-hmm. the problem with a Glock is, is a Glock is as ergonomic as a two by four. If you're shooting 40, if you're shooting anything in 45 caliber, it's as ergonomic as a four by four. Uh, you're definitely adjusting yourself to the gun. Uh, that's why I went over to SIGs because uh, of the ergonomics. I, they just felt good in my hand. But that's the thing with a rifle too, like that competition you're talking about. That, those are things that appeal to me. I like the practical portion of it. Um, I, I I think it's, the, yeah, I think it's cool to do stuff like that, and it's great that competitions are out there like that. So no matter what your discipline is, whether you're a pistol, you can have a practical shoot, your rifle, a rifle practical shoot, three gun practical with a three guns all you know in the same competition. That's where you know the, that's what I like about the shooting sports is that we it, they've evolved so much. They're no longer bullseye shooting where you're you know you're sitting there and
1: standing yeah. straight
0: up and doing. I'm sorry. I look at that. I go, I'm glad that people can shoot like that. That is boring to me.
1: Yep. I would agree with that. It's yeah. definitely, it could be better.
0: <laughs> yeah. Now we've been rolling, oh, wow, about an hour, or almost an hour and a half now. Um, where can people find Outer Impact?
1: OuterImpact.com.
0: Awesome. And for that everybody is the, there, go ahead.
1: That is the fastest, easiest way to find us go to the website there. Are, if you're local, there's people that sniff us out and we don't have a retail store or anything like that. We're a manufacturer. So, uh, but there's people that sniff us out and come down to the facility awesome. once in a while.
0: Awesome. And for everybody listening or watching, I'll have the links down below. Uh, they'll also have an Instagram, which I'll drop in there for them as well. So that way, if you're driving, don't try to write down outerimpact.com um, and then wreck your car. You can just go back and look at the, you know, the the section below, and just click on the link, and you'll go right to them. Now, at the end here, I like to play a little game. It's just a uh, it's just a speed round. It'll just give you a couple of this or that uh, decisions to make, and it's about guns or accessories or ammo or yeah, you know, something about shooting. Okay. So, for hearing protection, earplugs or headphones both both there you go you're the first person to say both and my sister used to wear both when she was shooting
1: well unfortunately i've had to do a bunch of test shooting uh in some of the projects i've been involved in and indoor ranges are absolutely brutal (laughs) for that that purpose and so i use i use howard light um earplugs which are as high as you can get and then i have a set of earmuffs that i put over the top we do double hearing protection. Awesome. So, so 10
0: millimeter or 45 ACP? 10 millimeter. Rifle or shotgun? Uh, rifle. <clears throat> Do you prefer an indoor range or an outdoor range?
1: Outdoor. A, and a covered final, outdoor. A covered outdoor, covered but an outdoor. <laughs> Yeah, for the like for the reasons work. I said before, the re, the repercussions that come from or reverberations that happen from shooting indoors is brutal.
0: Well, it's like uh, that rifle barrel. I I'm, te- I'm getting ready to test a couple of breaks. Yeah, you don't want to do that on an indoor range. No. <laughs> first of all, first of all, you make yourself miserable along with everybody else. Yep. Yep. <laughs> so, and for the final question. If you were going to start a gun museum, what's the first gun you would add to the collection? A gun museum? Yep. If you are going to start a gun museum, what's the first gun that you would add to the collection?
1: I have no idea. I it would have to be one of the first ones that ever came out. Some kind of muzzle loader, I would think. Awesome. Or a cannel.
0: Like an old like an old kentucky muzzle loader
1: what what started the whole thing is where would that be i what, like
0: where you're going because
1: where does yeah, where did the history come from
0: depending on who you talk to it depends on where they think because you know uh yeah as a kid i liked all the modern guns and it was funny as i get yeah the older i get the more appreciative i have of the older guns
1: yeah know? it's The modern guns, you know, I'm a modern type of individual. I like modern cars. I like modern weapons. I like all of the modern stuff. But if I'm thinking about it from a history standpoint, I'd want the very first firearm. And because you look at how those had to be built. Yeah. Holy Moses. And not all, not two were the same. They were, they were all different originally.
0: And if you think about it, for you running the machine shop there, that would be scary thinking about how they made guns back then, right?
1: i don't i don't that concept doesn't even compute for me i don't i don't know how yeah i even back then i if i were making guns i think i would have had to have figured out how to make them as consistent to each other as possible that just seems logical to me if you're manufacturing even if if you're building custom guns for multiple people i might want to set up so that i can you know i build four barrels and Or whatever, at least try and get a process down to where they're as identical as they can possibly be. But then again, manufacturing of the time may have dictated that's not possible.
0: Well, and that's the thing. um, I'm trying to remember the museum, Um, Hagley. So uh, I went to high school in Delaware, which is home of DuPont. Okay. And, you know, DuPont made gunpowder. I mean that's what their that's what their claim to fame was when they came into the US. So the original place where they made gunpowder is still there. It's the it's the Hagley Museum. And one of the coolest things is that when you go there, they have the original mill shop where they made tooling and stuff, where they have the mills, the lathes, and stuff like that. And it's all run by water power. They still have the they, they redid the water. Water wheel and it still works, and it's turning. And then they had these leather belts that they move with a stick to power a machine. And you know, trust me. As a kid, I just never really appreciated that, right? And going back and as an adult, you look at that and go, "It's amazing that they ever made anything." You know, thinking of modern machinery. Well,
1: and what we do with modern machinery in this day and age is pretty amazing as well. I mean even in the last yeah. 10 years there's been some significant changes to how you can program and run CNC machines. Yeah. So I know and I know I'm one for pushing the envelope on pretty much anything I run. So whether it's a car, a dirt bike, motorcycle, firearm, it doesn't matter, I try and push the envelope. And so a CNC machine is no different for me. And when we when we run our our parts, we run them fast and furious. The, so, so you're
0: the, definitely a uh you're definitely a drive it like you stole it kind of guy aren't you
1: absolutely 100
0: <laughs> which now, is why which is why people want to buy products from you right
1: yeah yep so it, i mean when we get into a cnc machine it's exactly what it is and and a lot of the a lot of the folks that i've dealt with they they look at some of the stuff we do in here and they think we're insane in terms of what we're running feeds and speeds wise and and the aggressiveness of stuff but the guys that have come in here we do it day in and day out it's no yeah. fuss no muss now there are situations where when you're you're doing some kind of a setup if somebody's not paying attention it will it will destroy your world in a hurry yeah. so but 99.9% of the time it's just fun <laughs> removing material at a, a ridiculous rate is just fun
0: so awesome yeah i'm kind of jealous because i always um i I think about things because you know when i was at ffl and you know i always wanted a mill and a lathe and stuff like that you start looking at stuff and um you just start you start thinking of like how fast you know how much could you push this thing and really that's where let's face it money comes into play right i mean I mean, sure, you, you could do it, but if you're going to do it right and you're going to do it and you're, you want to run it hard, you're, you're going you're gonna to spend some cash.
1: Well, so the funny thing is, is, is we have some slots that we do with a, a particular end mill. And we wanted to know how fast we could push it. And I wasn't getting the answers from the manufacturers of the tooling that I wanted to hear. And basically what we ended up doing to figure out how hard and fast we could push that particular cutter, because it's a roughing cutter, is we ran it to the point it broke. We just started speeding it up until it broke. And then we just backed it off a little bit. And that's where it runs to this day. And it runs thousands and thousands of parts that way. Awesome. But the only way we found out how fast we could run it was we literally had to break it to find out that we we couldn't go past this point. And when I contacted the manufacturer and told them what we were doing, they said, we don't, we can't even, yeah. (laughs) yeah, (laughs) We don't even know what to say to that because our recommendations don't even go that high for the cutter. they,
0: They probably haven't even pushed the cutter as far as they could. They probably looked at it and went, okay, everybody else is about this. We could probably do about that.
1: Uh, yeah, maybe I don't, I don't know. I I know that with the newer modern stuff, there's things that you can do with cutters that you could not do in the past. You would absolutely break them constantly, but with the way the new tool paths are being programmed and the way things behave, you can push them significantly faster than you could in the past. And we do continuously. So, and that's, that's, again, that's, I like to, I like to see the smoke coming off the aluminum. (laughs) There you go. (laughs)
0: you you, you want to see the coolant boiling off the aluminum don't yeah you
1: know? yeah pretty much yeah yeah that's that's we have a few of those that actually does that A Facebook comes in and cleans the, the material off at a very rapid rate and it's smoking inside of the machine
0: That is awesome that is so, so cool. cool but we
1: well, also do it in a safe manner. We don't throw parts out, the, that's, out of the
0: machine that's the, that's the key right? Yeah. is I mean, you, you, can run, you can run fast and hard, but you still got to be safe.
1: Yeah, you got to make sure that you're not chucking parts out of the machine or anything like that. Yeah, you're like not that. launching
0: something across the shop. Exactly. Yeah. So that's important. All right. Well, we've been running a little over an hour and a half. Uh, I want to okay. thank you for taking time out of your day to, to talk to us.
1: Hey, no problem, Jason. Glad you, you get a hold of us and gave us the opportunity.
0: Absolutely, because I absolutely love your products. I mean, these things are just, uh, it's so weird that to say that, you know, I fell in love with it with an adapter for a red dot onto my gun, but it was just, I was just, I looked at it and go, this is the right price. And man, it just worked. And I just had to have you guys on sometime.
1: Well, hey, if you ever uh, are in Boise, Idaho, feel free to stop in.
0: I will definitely let you know.
1: We're not a we're not a big operation. We're a pretty small operation. There's only five of us here. So you know,
0: uh, there's operations that are like that. Um, you know, I talked to Irv Stone from uh, Barstow Barrels. He was on earlier in the year. He's a small shop, but he's cranking out barrels, and it's it's you know the small companies are just that's where that's where the heart of of America is, right? I mean, you're yep. a small shop, and it's it's you and your wife that run the business. Correct? Mm -hmm. So, everybody out in the audience, if you want an American-made product made by a family-owned company, definitely go check out Outer Impact. Now, I knew a long time ago that I wanted somebody from Outer Impact in. Matter of fact, I didn't know who ran Outer Impact. I didn't know it was Roy and his wife. I didn't even know they existed. I reached out and, well, Roy's wife responded. And we got Roy on the show. It was really great to have him on. You know, that was literally the first time I talked to Roy. We talked for about 15 minutes before recording and um, we got right into recording. I knew in the before chat that this was going to be a great episode, that Roy and I were going to get along and just have a fun time. And it was great. It was great talking to him. He is an awesome guy. And he comes up with some great products. Products that I definitely recommend. I really like it. Now I'm not an affiliate for them. I don't get anything from them to say that. I'm just a big fan of their products. Definitely go check out Outer Impact. I'll have the link down below and I'll have the link to some of their socials as well. Make sure you go out and give them some love on the socials. Thanks for listening. Hope you're staying safe out there. Look forward.